there is some new music to go along with art at the Modern Art Museum of Fort Worth. The free concert series is called Sounds Modern. It's the idea of flutist Elizabeth McNutt. She's the director of the University of North Texas Contemporary Music Ensemble, NOVA, and co-director of the new music group, Atomic Clock Music Events. First of all, let's define contemporary music. What are the parameters for you of contemporary music? Contemporary music is a little bit difficult to define because our terminology has been taken by so many other genres. We used to call it experimental music, but that's come to mean something, I don't know, more popular related to techno music. Um, sometimes we call it contemporary, that's my favorite term still, but a lot of soft rock radio stations might refer to themselves as contemporary. Um, I like the term innovative and modern still. For me, I like to differentiate between recently composed music and what I call contemporary music. Recently composed music means the composer wrote it lately, but often those pieces can be in an older style. So when I think of contemporary music, I think of the time. Does this have anything to do with a certain time line or date? I know the museums, for instance, consider that uh, contemporary art begins after World War II. At one point in time, the museums in Fort Worth all exchanged art a little bit to be sure that they were all working within their own niche. I think it's similar. Sometimes we talk about modern music starting maybe after the turn of the century, 19, maybe even 1911, 1910, but for more contemporary music, um, I think post-1945. How did you become interested in this particular facet of music? You have a passion for music of the moment. Did anything turn you in that direction? Yes and no. I think there was part of me that maybe this was my calling from the beginning, that I, when I think back over my high school education as a flutist, that I already had those sort of tendencies perhaps. But I was a, as you would say, a conservatory brat, meaning I was brought up to be a orchestral flutist. But I was lucky to have a professor who thought that one's greatest chance of career success in music was by being diverse diversified, I should say. Mm -hmm. So I studied traverso, Baroque flute as well, and all orchestral repertoire. And he thought modern music should be an important part of that. So I studied contemporary pieces along with everything else. And it was towards the end of my undergraduate that my teacher said, I think you have a real affinity for this music. You should pursue it further. I didn't even know at that point one could. So that's what I did. How does one grow up being a, a conservatory brat? Well, we, we call ourselves that. It's just people who really want to play music primarily. And so even at an early age, knowing that you love it and that's what you want to do with your time. You're a solo recitalist, but you're also a member of a number of various groups. So you play in ensembles, the Tornado Project, the Calliope Duo, and uh, certainly the new work that you're doing now at uh, the museums. What are these kinds of groups uh, devoted to? Well, in the case of the Calliope Duo, it's a flute and piano duo. We like the idea of a keyboard driving a wind instrument, which is how we came up with the name. Um, we primarily do music by living composers. The Tornado Project is actually a trio with flute, clarinet, and computer. 
So that's a very different sort of music. A lot of improvisation involved with that group. And the work I'm doing at the museums, um, I'm calling it Sounds Modern because sort of generated at the Modern Art Museum in Fort Worth, and I wanted to have that as part of the name. Are you a composer? Only in private. <laughs> <laughs> you teach composition, and also uh, you, you teach studio flute, of course. I'm, I'm actually part of the composition faculty at the University of North Texas, but I don't actually teach composition as such. Sort of, I call myself a hybrid there, that I direct the new music ensemble there, which is part of the composition division, and I teach flute, and then I also give courses in contemporary music performance. That's again through the composition division, so that's how I end up being comp faculty, but I don't teach composition. You recently did a program at the DMA. Tell me about that program. Uh, there we were featuring the music of John Cage. They were doing an exhibit inspired by his work. I think the exhibit was called Silence. And so they contacted me wondering if I could get a group together to do some cage pieces as part of the exhibit. And I love the idea of bringing contemporary music into art museums. I think we reach a different audience. And I think by pairing music with the art, we look at the art differently and we hear the music differently too. So I was very excited to do it. My only reluctance was that it was summer and Thought, am I going to get players? But I did. I got a great group together, and we had a wonderful time playing there. Did you do silence? We didn't. They, they asked me about that, actually. And had we been in the auditorium, I would have been very excited to do it. But I realized, since we were playing in the galleries along with the art, that really someone standing there not playing an instrument would just be someone standing there not playing an instrument. And to do silence, I think you need a stage, so you walk out, and you, you bow, and it's that whole concert environment that's so important to that piece. What's it called? Four minutes and... Four minutes, 33 seconds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love John Cage. In three movements. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the choice of instruments that he um, brought to us. Just different kinds of things to bang on and shake and mm -hmm. that kind of different thing. Different combinations. And that's one of the great things about the music I play is that there's so much variety in the style of the music, but also in, in what we call tone colors, the sort of, we, the technical term is timbre, that um, different instruments, pots, pans, combining odd instruments. This concert I have upcoming at the Modern, um, we have an ensemble that is a bass clarinet, a flute, a regular clarinet, electric guitar, piano, percussion, voice, and trombone, bass trombone. The exhibition that you're talking about is Glenn Ligon. How does the music tie in with that particular exhibition? It does in subtle ways. Um, what I was I should just say, when I'm curating the concerts, um, in this case, I didn't have a chance to look at the exhibit before programming the piece, but instead I researched Glenn Ligon's work, and I saw a lot of repetition, a lot of use of text, and I also saw these sort of themes about oppression, and then, of course, the title of the exhibit being America. I had to think in a larger frame about, well, what music is sort of related to that? So the Zhevsky piece is uh, directly about oppression, though it's a very optimistic piece, despite that subject matter. It's a piece that deals with a lot of very simple materials that are repeated in very surprising, sometimes humorous, but always touching ways. Give us the background on that piece. Well, it's about the prison riot in Attica in 1971. 
The piece was written in 1972 as a sort of response to that. The composer Frederick Jeffsky, who is an American composer, I think read some text by Sam Melville, one of the, um, I guess he was one of the organizers of the riot. He was a political prisoner. And the, the whole reason I guess they had this uprising was trying to get better treatment for the prisoners. This particular prisoner, Sam Melville, wrote this letter to his brother, I think shortly before he actually died in this riot. And uh, Zhevsky was so moved by the text, that's what he decided to set in this very, as I say, it's sort of surprisingly simple piece, but yet the way it's played, it's full of textures and surprises, and there's kind of some elements of improvisation in it as well. How are these ideas carried out in the music? Well, part of it is he has the text segmented and spoken throughout the work. So you actually hear his writing, Sam Melville's writing throughout. The musical materials are from a very small set of pitches that he then generates in a certain kind of game-like way. And it's almost like a, a fun game for the performers because we're given certain kinds of guidelines for how to interpret each section. We're all given the same notes at the same time, but we don't all play the same notes at the same time because we make decisions based on the moment and the feeling and what our friends on stage are doing. How do you handle the improvisation? You know, it's different from every piece. In this piece, we'll actually practice the improvisations and not... Is that fair? Yes, absolutely. You practice improvising. You don't then try to recreate the exact thing because then that, in my opinion anyway, becomes a little contrived. But we like to work together and have a feel for it. So you don't have that, I would say, panic of coming on stage and not knowing what other people might be doing. I think for people who improvise together a lot, I don't know how necessary it is. It's easier. Yeah. yeah, but for this group, and because there are, as I say, it's improvisational, but it's not improvised because there are materials and I would say very strict guidelines that Jeffsky gives the performers. Things like play as many 16th notes as fast as possible and loud, but no two 16th notes together. So. That's a kind of awkward groove, difficult for anyone to basically do on the fly. You have a speaker with the musicians as That's well. Right. Yes, and he, I think his text basically happens on every downbeat. So it's a sort of kind of a, almost like functioning like a bass drum or something, kind of a grounding for both the ensemble and also the, the listeners. Does it take a musician to be able to speak that text? That's an interesting question. Probably it wouldn't, but I think it makes probably putting the piece together um, more simple and maybe more fluid if they are. And our speaker is a, a musician, he's a composer, as well as a voice actor and a radio host. And, um, and years ago, actually, I, I led this piece once before with my students several years ago when I first came to UNT. And he was a composition student at the time. And he happened to be coming through the hallway, and our singer wasn't there. Our, we had a singer doing the text. He wasn't singing the text, but one of the vocal faculty was doing the text. And so this, this guy, Paul, was there. And I said, hey, Paul, can you just kind of help <laughs> us out? And he was great. He was so great that I remembered it, what, six years later. And so when this opportunity to do this piece came up, I thought, I'm going to see if Paul would want to do it. Yeah. How do your students take to new music? They love it overall. I mean, of course, occasionally I might have students a little bit nervous or scared. That's, you, the, how do I say this? When students seem not to like it, it's usually fear that is the problem, that maybe they feel like they don't know what they're doing. Most of us who are um, 
and classical musicians, we've heard this music all our lives and we love it. I certainly grew up hearing classical music, not contemporary music, classical music. And so you have a sense of it. And I do think it takes a particular kind of person to love to discover something new. I mean, as I feel for me, I love getting a new piece written for me that no one else has played, and I look at it and I have to figure out what it's all about, and I love that. I certainly can't expect all of my students to feel that way, but I expect, and they, they rise to the challenge, they embrace the challenge, and they, they really play wonderfully. Give us the particulars about the concert at the Modern Art Museum. The concert is on Saturday, May 5th at 2 o'clock and it's a free concert. I really like that The Modern is wanting to do this free concert series because I think for an audience that's maybe new to contemporary music, it can be daunting to come out and pay a, a hefty ticket price. So here I think the expectation is, hopefully you'll stay for the whole thing, but if it's not your cup of tea, go look at the art. You know, we're all right with that. And uh, But it's also very short. Yes. the, the the piece, uh, the first movement of Coming Together, which is the name of the piece we're talking about, is 20 minutes, and then there's a second movement we're going to do as well, and I think that's another probably 15 to 20. And do you think it's best not to program something else with that piece? Do you think it makes a statement by itself and is better stated than combining something else and making a full afternoon of music? I think it could go either way, and I've programmed it alongside other works, but because I really wanted it to have the sort of power and impact of the Ligon exhibit, I wanted it to stand alone. I'm hoping that when people, if they don't see the exhibit before coming to our concert, that afterwards they'll go in and, and look at the art and think about it in that way. Well, the whole idea sounds fun, and uh, we appreciate you bringing the information to us, and we'll see you at the concert. We've been talking to Elizabeth McNutt. Sounds Modern presents a performance of Coming Together, Saturday at 2, at the Modern Art Museum of Fort Worth. Thank you for being with us today for Art Matters. I'm Quinn Matthews. And I'm Sharon Binge. Art Matters airs every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. and Thursday evenings at 6.30. And look for us on Facebook at Art Matters Radio.